And the title I've given our study tonight is The Root Cause for Rejoicing. The Root Cause for Rejoicing. As I read the psalm in its entirety, I want you to take careful notice of the various calls to rejoice that are wedded with the various causes for rejoicing. Last week in Psalm 46, we had the repetitive interweaving of chaotic circumstances and how the psalmist could remain calm in the midst of such chaotic circumstances. Now in this psalm, Psalm 47, we have a repetitive interweaving of mandates to praise God and then connected motivations for praising God. Psalm 47, O clap your hands, all ye people, shout unto God with the voice of triumph, for the Lord Most High is terrible, He is a great King over all the earth. He shall subdue the people under us and the nations under our feet. He shall choose our inheritance for us, the excellency of Jacob, whom he loved, Selah. God is gone up with a shout, the Lord with the sound of a trumpet. Sing praises to God, sing praises. Sing praises unto our King, sing praises. For God is the King of all the earth, sing ye praises with understanding. God reigneth over the heathen. God sitteth upon the throne of His holiness. The princes of the people are gathered together, even the people of the God of Abraham. For the shields of the earth belong unto God. He is greatly exalted. Did you detect the root cause for rejoicing in the Lord? You see the singular truth that is the foundation of all praise toward God. I'll give you a hint. It is the general theme of all the Psalms and is the general theme of everything written in the Word of God from Genesis to Revelation. The root cause of the believer's hope, joy, and peace in the Lord is the knowledge that God does what He wants, when He wants, however He wants, wherever He wants, through whomever he wants, for his own glory. The knowledge that God is in all things, over all things, around all things, before all things, and after all things, is the one truth that all other truths flow from. The truth that God is absolutely sovereign is the heart of the Christian faith and It is the root cause for rejoicing in Him. Notice again the different appeals to rejoice in the Lord. Verse 1, O clap your hands, all ye people, shout unto God with the voice of triumph or with the voice of jubilation. The call is to rejoice in the spirit of joy. Verse 6, sing praises to God Sing praises, sing praises unto our King, sing praises. Four times in this one verse, verse 6, the command, the appeal to rejoice in the Lord through singing. And then at the conclusion of verse 7, we have the psalmist once again encouraging us to sing praises unto God 
with understanding. And then surrounded by these appeals for praise are affirmations of truth that are associated with God's sovereignty, which provides us with various reasons why we ought to praise God. So the question before us tonight is, why should we worship God? Why should we adore Him? Why should we do what the psalmist says in other places and come before His presence with thanksgiving? What reason do we have to sing and to celebrate in this world filled with sin and sorrow? Well, truth number one, we ought to sing, celebrate, rejoice, and praise the Lord because God is the sovereign king over all the earth. God is the sovereign king over all the earth. Verse 1 and 2 again. Notice it. Oh, clap your hands. All ye people, shout unto God with the voice of triumph for... Here's the reason. Here's the motivation. For the Lord, most high is terrible, awesome. He is a great king over all the earth. And then verses 6 and 7, sing praises to God, sing praises, sing praises unto our King, sing praises for, here's the cause, here's the motivation, for God is the King of all the earth, sing you praises with understanding. Do you see the connection? In this world filled with sin, disappointment, trouble, and pain, Where can God's people find a cause for worshiping, for rejoicing? The psalmist declares that they can cause, that their cause for rejoicing lies in the truth that the Lord Most High is a sovereign king over all the earth. Now, reflecting on this truth in further detail, this means that there is one authority in this world that all men are accountable to, and by the way, it is not in finite men. The truth that God is king over all the earth means that he is actively ruling and reigning over the affairs of all world leaders. This means that God, as king, is ruling over Zelensky of Ukraine, Putin of Russia, Kim Jong-un of North Korea, President Biden of the United States, President Xi of China, Proverbs 21 and verse 1, the king's heart, that is the earthly kings, the rulers of this world, the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord and notice the greatness of God. The king's heart is in That which we consider to be small as a part of our body, the hand of the Lord. It's in the hand of the Lord and He, God, turns it whithersoever He will as the rivers of water. Daniel, in Daniel 2.21 declares that it is God who changes the times and the seasons and it is God who removes and sets up kings as He pleases. And then two chapters later in Daniel chapter 4, Nebuchadnezzar, 
the greatest king in that time, the great human king of Babylon, declares that it is God that does according to His will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay His hand. None can grab a hold onto the hand of the Lord and turn it as they will, because God is God. He is the king. No, it's God who grabs the hands of kings and turns it as he pleases. So what cause do we have for rejoicing in the Lord? We can rejoice in the fact that God is the sovereign king over not some places, not some people, but all places and all people. He's the sovereign king over all kingdoms. And then intertwined within this truth is the declaration that as king, God is a conquering king over his enemies. Notice the motivation mentioned in verse 3. Why should we shout to God with the voice of triumph? First, because God is the sovereign king of all the earth. And then second, because as the sovereign king... He will subdue His enemies. Now, in one sense, what is said in verse 3 speaks to Israel's temporal victories. Yet in another sense, what is said in verse 3 can be applied to the spiritual conquests of Christ's true church. In the Old Testament, as you know, we read that Israel, as a nation had physical enemies that came against them that God promised to conquer and did conquer. And God conquered these enemies to keep His covenant that He established with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God conquered these physical enemies to pave the way for the coming of the promised Messiah. Israel had to be preserved by God because God promised that through Israel, Christ would come. Yet likewise, we read in the New Testament that those who are in Christ, those who are of their father Abraham by faith, those who are the circumcised of heart, those who belong to the holy nation have been subdued by King Jesus through the power of His gospel. You see, before Christ, we were at enmity with God. Before we were born again, we were not on the winning side that Christ is on. We were kicking against His kingdom and His will. Yet God, in His great grace, God in His great mercy, overcame our unbelief and our rebellion and gave us a heart that caused us to joyfully submit to Christ's Lordship. And this, of all things, is certainly a cause for rejoicing. Why should we rejoice in the Lord? What cause do we have to sing praises unto the name of God? Well, the psalmist says that the sovereign king destroyed the dominion that Satan had over our life. You see, as a conquering king, Jesus willfully came into our dark world. He left the glories of heaven 
took upon him the form of a servant and died in the place of sinners. Jesus, the light of the world, came into our darkness. He tabernacled in this world. But in a real sense, for the believer, he did this in your life. He not only came into the physical world, he entered into your spiritual world. This king conquered. He snatched us from the prison that we were captives to. And Jesus transported us to the kingdom of God, the kingdom of light. And now being among Christ's church, we have the promise from Christ himself that he will do for others what he has done for us. This is Christ's promise. Christ will build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So what does this include? This includes Christ calling his sheep and his sheep willfully submitting to him. They're subdued under his leadership, under his guidance. You see, God's kingdom is advancing. And it's advancing through the hearts that Christ conquers as he defeats the influences of the devil who is our greatest enemy. So again, back to our question, why should we rejoice in the Lord? What cause do we have to sing praises unto God? First, because God is the sovereign king of all the earth. Second, because as the sovereign king, he has, he is, And he will subdue all of his enemies under his feet. He will call those who are his enemy now, who will be his friend in Christ. And one day he will actually subdue all his enemies, those who are resisting him and will continue to resist him. Christ will place even the devil and all of the devil's minions under his authority. And then third... As the sovereign king, he has appointed his people to be the recipients of his saving grace. Don't miss this. Notice what is said in verse 4. Verse 4, he, God, shall choose our inheritance for us, the excellency of Jacob, whom he loved. Selah. That means stop. Pause. Think about, reflect upon what has just been said. Who is this king? Well, this king is the sovereign king over all the earth. We've established that. This king is the sovereign king who rules over the nations. We've established that. This king is the sovereign king who will subdue all of his enemies. Remember what Paul says. At the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, that He is the Sovereign One. He is the King to the glory of God the Father. And then we see that this King, who is the Sovereign King, is one who loves, chooses, and saves his elect ones. You say, I don't read that word elect in the text. Well, you may not see it, but this is certainly what it's referring to. Now think about it. Jacob, 
His name is mentioned, and his name is mentioned by God as one that God particularly loved. Out of all the men of the earth, God chose to establish his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Out of all the people of the world, the text states that God bestowed a unique, redemptive love toward Jacob. Remember, twice in our Bibles we read, Jacob have I loved, Esau have I hated. Malachi 1, Romans 9. Out of all the nations of the earth, God chose Israel to be his people. God chose Israel's inheritance for them. Israel didn't ask for it. Israel didn't seek it out of their own desire. They did not have the power to deliver themselves out of the strength of Pharaoh. Israel did not have the power in and of themselves to get the victory over their enemies that came against them. No, God in His sovereign grace gave it to them of His free will. And so it is with all who are in Jesus Christ. If we truly belong to God... If there is evidence in our life that we've been born again by the Holy Spirit, God's Word declares, and it declares plainly and repetitively that God has chosen our inheritance for us. God, in His great love for us, has predestinated and elected us to be His children before we were ever born and before this world was ever created. And by the way, this is the story of all stories of Christmas. Why did Jesus come to earth? Did Jesus come to earth merely to teach nice morals to people? Did Jesus come to earth merely to feed the poor? Did Jesus come to earth merely to entertain people by performing miracles? No, Matthew 1.21, here's the essence of Christmas. And his name shall be called Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Who are his people? Just the Jews? No. His people are all who trust in him by faith. His people are all who repent and believe the gospel. If you are in Christ, God chose you from before the foundation of the world. And this is the essence of verse 4. The essence of verse 4 is that Jesus Christ, the King of kings and Lord of lords, is absolutely sovereign over the salvation of men's souls. And listen, this is not a truth that needs to be debated. This is a truth that needs to be declared. The Bible says Christ shows mercy to whom he shows mercy. If you are a believer tonight from a human perspective, yes, you repented and believed. We can't deny that. That's what the Bible says. From a human, finite perspective, you chose to follow Christ. We don't deny that. But from the eternal perspective, from the perspective of the king, from God's perspective, 
God set his love upon his own people. God chose his bride for himself from eternity past. This is what all the disciples proclaim. John, we love him. Why? Because he first loved us. Here in his love, not that we loved God. We didn't come into this world loving God. We came into this world loving ourselves. We came into this world loving the sins of this life. We came into this world thinking ourselves to be wise. Here in his love, not that we love God, but that he loved us. And not just in a sappy, emotional sense, but in a saving sense. He's speaking to believers, John is. Here in his love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. The believer's sins. Christ truly paid for the penalty of his people. Now fast forward to the heavenly reunion of the saints in heaven. This is the same truth. What will those in heaven rejoice about together forever? See the cause for rejoicing in this psalm. And then fast forward to eternity, that which is in the future. For those who are in Christ, what will they be praising in heaven? Well, I can tell you that it won't be. Well, look at how smart I was to believe on Christ. It won't be, oh, look at all the good works that I've performed to earn my place in eternity. It won't be, well, look at how worthy I am to be in the presence of this Lamb. No, it will be glory to the Lamb that was slain from the foundation of the world for those names that were written in the book of life from the foundation of the world. Is there cause for rejoicing this evening? Is there a reason for singing? Even in the midst of our trying circumstances, well, Psalm 47 teaches us that there is. The truth of God's absolute sovereignty over all things is all the cause that we need. God is sovereign in creation. Nobody counseled him on how to make the earth, on how to create the universe. God is sovereign over that which has been. History is his story, God's story. He wrote it. He caused all things to happen for a purpose. God is sovereign over that which is in this present moment. God is sovereign over that which will be. All things will work their way out so that the prophecy of revelation will come to pass. God is sovereign over the affairs of men. God is sovereign in the salvation of His people. God is sovereign in our sanctification. And God is sovereign in our suffering. This is the overall theme of the Psalms. And this is the overall theme of the Bible. Which means that this ought to be the anchor of our faith, the pillow for our souls, and it ought to be the one truth that we continually call to mind. The sovereignty of God. Look, God's absolute sovereignty is not some dry, academic, theological truth that ought to be disputed in the seminaries. 
On the contrary, God's sovereignty is a warm, practical, comforting, and encouraging truth that ought to be delighted in. The truth of God's absolute sovereignty, if understood correctly, does not encourage us to come before the presence of God with an arrogant spirit. No. The truth of God's absolute sovereignty actually inspires us to come before Him in a humble spirit, in a thankful spirit, in a spirit of awe, in a spirit of great marveling and great adoration. Who is this king that would choose to love me? Who is this king that would have any desire to work in my life? You see, the truth of God's absolute sovereignty ought to increase our faith in him. We trust those that we know. We distrust those that we don't know. And if we know God as he really is, as he's portrayed to us in Scripture, then we'll lean upon his everlasting arms. The less we know God, or the lower we have of thoughts of him, the less we'll trust him. But let's go back to Peter. Peter says we can cast all of our cares upon him, knowing that he's God. We can be still and know that God is God. This truth of God's absolute sovereignty ought to cause us to be optimistic in life rather than pessimistic in life. You see, it's not some dry, theological, distant truth that has no relation to our walk with Christ. This truth ought to cause us to look at the world with hope. You say, hope? Don't you watch the news? Yes. But I read it through the lens of God's sovereignty. That's our hope. Our hope is this world is not unraveling at the seams, though it seems like it. No, everything is working toward that which God has purposed. Why does God interweave this one truth, the truth of God's absolute sovereignty throughout the whole of the Bible and it's in every other psalm as it seems? First, because it's true. And this truth is the foundation of all other truths. All other truths flow out of this truth. If God is not God, you have no truth. This is the bedrock of all Bible doctrine. God is absolutely sovereign. Think about all other doctrines and trace it back to this. If you don't have this truth secure in your mind, you won't have any truth secure in your mind. And some of you need to think about this as it relates to the assurance of your salvation. If God has done a work in your life, it's not you keeping yourself, it's God keeping you by His power. He's sovereign enough to do it. If He has saved you, He can keep you. That's what we rest our hearts on. So the devil comes and whispers in your ear, those of you who are truly in Christ, well, I don't know, you've messed up this week. Maybe you're not. Oh, we go back to this truth and find confidence in this sovereign God and His work. Why did God interweave this one truth throughout the whole of the Bible? Second, because we're prone to forget that it's true. 
Somebody asked Martin Luther, Luther, why do you preach the gospel to your people every week? And Martin Luther said, because my people forget it every week. And so it is with this truth. Why does it seem in every psalm the pastor is getting back to this one truth? Is his record broken? Do we need to fix the needle? No, this is what God has placed in his word. From Genesis to Revelation. Why? Because we're prone to forget. We're prone to take it for granted. So we need to be reminded over and over, each and every day, God's in control. He's sovereign over all. And then third, God interweaves this one truth throughout the whole of the Bible. Because it's the fuel that will ignite every part of our Christian life. Knowing that God is absolutely sovereign will ignite our faith. It will ignite our prayers. It will ignite our evangelistic efforts. It's not us who saves, it's God who saves. Salvation is not dependent upon our arguments or our apologetic reasoning. Oh no, what if we say the wrong things? It's not about you, it's about Him and His Spirit. Knowing this truth will ignite our hope. It will ignite our peace. It will ignite our counseling towards others. And it will ignite our praise. You see, when our flame diminishes, we need to take the gasoline of God's sovereignty and pour it on that flame so that our Christian life might explode. Paul says, for of him and through him and to him are all things to whom be glory forever. Amen. And I submit to you that this one truth is how Joseph endured. Through all the wrong and all the injustices. This one truth was the anchor of Job's faith. He knoweth the way that I take. The Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I know that my Redeemer liveth. Constantly. Did he struggle? Of course he did. Again, think of the buoy on top of the water. Moving here and there with the waves of circumstances. But his faith was rooted in the sovereignty of God. He wasn't going to go miles down the shore. And I submit this is why Paul and Silas could... Pray and sing praises to God at midnight. Were they just super Christians? Did they just take some special pill from the supplement shop that made them, you know, just happy in jail? What was it? They knew. God had a plan and purpose. God sent them to that jail cell for a reason, and we see that reason, don't we? God sovereignly placed a jailer in that moment, to hear the gospel. That's an incredible thought, to trace out what could have been and how God is moving things around. This is the Bible. This is the story of redemption from Genesis to Revelation. So let me ask, have you lost your song in the darkness? Have you lost your hope in the storms of life? Have your prayers become cold? Oh, let this truth 
stir you to run to the Lord and praise Him for who He is. The absolute sovereignty of God. This is the cause. This is the reason. This is the motivation for all of our worship.